This is the first of a multi-part series on living a focused life. And we certainly know that life can get busy. We certainly know that there are things that compete. And and as we come off the Lenten season, that's a season of of preparation, just like Advent. It's a a period of of preparation to make room in our life for the, the gift of Jesus arriving at Christmas, the gift of grace and mercy that comes with the cross. And especially with Lent, we we recognize that we are sinners and, and we're what drove those nails. And it's very important that we spend that time in repentance. And again, it's not a season per se that ends with a date on the calendar, but a, an annual reminder of the things we should be doing each day. So as we do this multi-part series on a focused life, this morning we're going to focus on the word. By that mean, we mean God's word, the Bible. And you're familiar with this verse from 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Okay? Teaching, that's okay. That we get rebuking. Okay, that's a little, that's a little tough word, right? That's like, this is how it's supposed to be. And then correcting and then training, training. And you probably believe that you have a good idea what that means. It's, it's a commonly read verse. And it's at the core belief of us as Christians. In fact, if you have trouble accepting the Bible as the word of God, most everything else that we do or believe in will probably make little sense or you'll really struggle with it. And this is why we make scripture reading and study an important part of our worship service and of our individual lives. Before we go much further, I want to do a little illustration. Would you mind clicking the slide? Just one time, if you would. Does it need help? There we go. Let's read this statement as a congregation. You can't stare at the sun too long. Okay, all right. Someone tells me, what, what is that saying? You can't stare at the sun too long. It's going to hurt your eyes? Is that that's all I get? Isn't it possible that means that you, it's not possible to stare too long? Like you can do it forever? Isn't that? This is no punctuation, no whatever. So go ahead and click it one more time. Roll this. You can't stare at the sun too long. Now that's emphatic. It's got an exclamation. You put some punctuation in there. That makes sense now, right? One more time. It's impossible to stare at the sun too long. Now that would change the meaning, but it still says the same thing as the first sentence. You can't stare at the sun too long. You know, you notice there was no capitalization, no punctuation, no words emphasized with quotes or italics or bold font. You don't know if it's a statement ending in a period. You didn't know if it's a warning ending in an exclamation point like what we've seen. Or, or you know, maybe it's a doubt, like a question mark. You, you can't stare at it too long, right, with a question mark. So it's impossible to completely understand the author's meaning. Now, we've got a pretty good guess Because we default to our preconceived idea, right? The sun is bright. And we've heard, we may not know anybody who's done it, but we've heard that if you stare at it, you will go blind. So we have this thing. So when we read something that says, it's do not stare at the sun too long, or you can't stare at the sun too long, we just think, well, duh, right? Don't do it. We take words and we apply what we know about grammar and syntax and we assess the situation, and we assume some context, and, and, and then our brain starts working to make an interpretation. All right, go ahead and go to the next slide. What do you guys see in that picture? First thing you see, you all shout it out. Two faces. I hear faces, and I see a man and a woman. Do you kind of see both now? 
Too many margaritas. <laughs> we'll have confession here in a minute. Uh, so. But yeah, yeah. It's an illusion, right? It, or, or if you look at it, can you see the faces though? If you see the, okay, do another one. What do you see here? A skull? What else? Lady looking in a mirror? Do you see that now? Yeah. It's the same image, but you can see two things. One more, if you would. Oh, I guess two more. What is this? It's a rabbit or a duck, right? One more. What do you see here? Anything? Tree. It's tougher. Yeah, yeah, I kind of see a tree. Click it one more slide and you'll see. There's a dog in there. That was a little tougher. That's not as much of an illusion as if you don't have all the, the stuff, the color or whatever, it, it doesn't show up. So you can flip it. So that was just kind of a, an example how you can, everybody can look at things that are very obvious and still see a different image, right? So that example of the don't stare in the sun was pretty easy. But I wonder if, if I had up here with a bunch of ice cream and I'm like, you can't eat too much ice cream, right? Right? You can't eat too much ice cream. Now you're wondering... Why? Because my brain's going to freeze, right? Or it's so good, there's no way I can eat enough because it just melts, right? And it just fills in the cracks, we'd say. So you can't get full on ice cream. How many people actually, totally off script here, did your ice cream challenge successfully? Uh, I, I had, oh, successfully, two. Two out of how many would you say? 17. Out of 17 people, two out of 17. And you had to eat, what, 16 scoops of ice cream? 16 scoops of ice cream, nine toppings, Brownie cookie toppings, yeah, and, and keep it down. Yeah. <laughs> in an hour, they had it. in an hour. Okay, okay. That person, those two people might said, "You can't eat too much ice cream." But, but you know, so if I was up here eating ice cream in front of you, which would be incredibly selfish, and I say, "You can't eat too much ice cream," but what if I said, you know, because we make room for you know homemade pie, you know, right? Make room for something better. Uh, what if I had a huge span, spoon in my hand and like, did, you know, can't have too much ice cream. Then you're excited because you're saying it's, it's impossible. It's good. So there's some interpretation. These are kind of silly illustrations. But I want you to see something because um, it's amazing and a little concerning how the human, human mind works. Misunderstandings is one of the largest contributors to, to problems in our relationships, right? Misunderstandings and miscommunications. But... Staring at the sun and eating ice cream may seem like silly examples, but the Bible was written without punctuation or capitalization. Did you know that? A sentence just like that. So it's not even a sentence, a statement. And it was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. Raise your hand if you speak any of these. Right. I had a class in Hebrew. It was tough. But I wouldn't claim that I can, I can say it or, or read it. I mean, kind of read it. But, you know, it, this is what we did. And... And so what happened was someone had to take those languages and interpret it and translate it to English and add the punctuation, what they thought was being said, because you don't know if it's a statement or a question mark. I mean, there's many statements you could put in there and read with a question and it would have a completely different meaning and punctuation and all this. And we've looked at, even as we're looking at the Old Testament at the end of last year, that there were Hebrew words that had multiple meanings, but none of them were directly English. So, you know, or, or they might give it even a more pronounced meaning that we think of, right? To give, to give a joy, right? We talked about giving generously and with joy, but that word, that one is actually Greek, was hilaria, which means hilarious. Now, to me, hilarious is much 
more profound than joy. So as we pick the English words that make sense, we can change its meaning and context, right? So we take the original words and translate them into our language and have to make some interpretations, that, especially if they don't directly translate. We add capitalization and punctuation. We take what we know about the author and we determine to assume who the intended reader is. Now, like when we're talking about the epistles of the Apostle Paul, so... We're talking about Thessalonians, Colossians, Ephesians, Galatians, Romans. We, we know who those letters were written to, the early churches in the region. We have to consider that. And then we have to consider the social, political, and historical environment that both the author and the reader are in. And now we're talking about thousands of years ago. And we and the reader have to, sub, we as we're reading, have to subconsciously apply our judgment and preconserved notions and then voila, then we have a profound understanding of what was intended, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but Sherry and I don't communicate that well, and we think we speak the same language. But it seems like there's a lot of room for error, right? Now, apply yourself to the interpretation, right? When you're reading anything, you have certain lenses that you look through at life. Because I grew up here, because I am educated this way, or because I've had this history experience, you kind of have a lens. And that's not a bad thing, but you need to recognize where you're, you're coming from. And everything you've experienced at this point in time affects your perspective. And then you can't help but consider that what scripture, help consider what scripture means to you and why, right? We can read the same verse, and it has some real profound meaning to me, but you're not quite there. Or that doesn't yet for you. And as Christians, we know that we are to do more than just read the Bible. James 1, 22 through 25, and we read this often, instructs us, do not be merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says, right? Don't be hearers, but doers. And I like the paraphrase version that the message says. It says, don't fool yourself into thinking that you're a listener when you are anything but. Letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. And we understand it, right? We, we know that we need to read it. We know we need to understand it. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Be not on your own understanding, right? In all your ways, submit to him. Have him guide you. Have him tell you what he means, and he will make your paths straight. And we know the next step after we read and hear and that is we need to apply it to our lives. And so this is a continuation of James 1 that I shared and so this is why we read the rest of the story, right? It says, don't just be listeners, but, but do what it says. And this is anyone who listens to the word but does not do it is like someone who looks in the face of a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like, right? If you aren't living the biblical lifestyle, the biblical teachings, then, then you're going to go away and you're going to drift away from it. But it continues, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do, right? There's so much we miss if we just read the one or two familiar verses and, and stop there. But this is what God, this is what we are told to do. And we trust the instruction because we know that we have some judgments and notions that we hold in our hearts. And these are good, right? We believe and know God is good. So when we read scripture, we know that God is coming from a good place. We know that God loves us. So even when we're asking these questions, we know that there's a reason that this is happening because God loves us. And we know that God wants a relationship with us. And we know God wants us to enjoy a blessed life on earth and an eternal one with him. And aren't these things that you've come to understand and believe? 
Not just because the Bible said so or because I stand up here on Sunday morning and says God loves you, but because you can look at your life and the lives of those around you and see proof of him working in the world. Not just in our lives personally, but the look at the environment. You know, beautiful creation. This is, this is a God that loves you and wants you to enjoy and take care of creation. You know, and so you do that, you know how good God is and you know that he loves you unconditionally and he also desperately wants internal relationship with because he sent his son for you so that you have a pathway to salvation if you choose it. You know, like I said, knowing that the Bible is what it is is really the first step in, in gaining some understanding, right? But if you're having trouble saying, I don't know that God is good or not, he's not always good or sometimes I don't feel loved or, or you know, I, I don't know about this, that's when we need to talk, right? That's when we sit down and we talk about what's going on in your life and we connect with God. And it's okay to, to take a moment and do that. In fact, he wants us to do that. If you're not on one of these mountaintop moments, maybe you're down here, it's okay to, to say, God, I, I, I don't get it. How do I know you're good? And let's dive into his word and let's pray and let's, let's figure that out together. So I want to pause and invite you. But we hold all these truths in our mind as we read the word and most things seem to affirm this very easily. You know, this happened because the Israelites love God or, or this happened because, you know, God wanted this to happen or he sent his son and this needed to happen. But there are things in the Bible and in our lives that we if we're being completely honest, that don't seem to reconcile this belief. Why, why do bad things happen to good people, right? These are tough questions. And, and I was trying to consciously, I started to creep up to 30 minutes and that's not good. So I'm trying to hold my message a little shorter. So I wanna encourage you to go back and look at the Ask the Pastor series on our podcast. And there's one that talks about uh, what does it mean that the Bible is inspired word of God? It talks a little bit about the human error and fallacy, all that, but really what it means, where does the Bible wording come from and why it's so vital to us as Christians and, and civilization? But this, along with the Sunday morning message called an open book exam, do you guys remember that one? I came in, I was so proud of myself. Sherry keeps all the owner's manuals for everything. And I came up here and I said, owner's manuals, but as a guy, I've never owned a single one or opened a single one. But we have an open book test on this life and life will test you, but you have the answers if you open the book. So I want to encourage you to, to get back into either of those messages and, and you'll hear some good resources of, of what the Bible is and, and much more scripture, certainly. But this morning, I simply want you to be aware that there's a lot of interpretation going on when you read scripture. And there are scholars that make an entire career of interpreting a single chapter or collection of verses Yet we read a few sentences and hope to claim an understanding. And that's okay, but I want to encourage you to go deeper. So when you sit down to read some verses, you really should invest the time in praying first, right? Start with a prayer. God, what do you want me to hear? Help me understand it. Pray for him to reveal to you what he wants you to hear in his words that you are reading. And this may mean that you have to read a little further, right? You may have to go back a little in the context or, or forward a little bit more and include more than just the, you know, John 3.16. You need to read the John 3.17 and more than the James 1, 2 to 3, but the, the 4 and 5. Or as we're studying Galatians to, to not just start at chapter 5, which is the good news, but go to the beginning where he's kind of beating these people up and say, guys, I've been there. I have visited you. 
you, you know, talked about Jesus. You were so excited and I left and now I'm hearing you guys are drifting away. He kind of beats them up. They call it admonishing, but it's really a verbal tongue lashing. You know, who cut in on you, he says. Who cut in on you? Sometimes you have to read to get the context of what's going on. And the most important is reflect on it, right? We don't just read and move on. That's like the, the message version that says, in one ear, out the other. So read a little further, before and after. I began this message with the familiar words of 2 Timothy 3.16. But if we read a little further and get to 3.17, it includes this. It says, all scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. 17 says, so that the servant of God, all of us, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, God's got a plan for you. Hopefully, you're pretty close to figuring it out if you haven't already. But whatever it is, you're equipped or he's ready to equip you. Don't you want to be fully equipped? Thoroughly equipped, it says, right? But if you don't read that, you don't get the rest of the message about the Bible. It's not just, it's not just God breathes, period. It's like, it's for you. It's for you to understand and equip yourself for whatever he's having you do, and at the very least, equip you to get through life. So read a little further. Study a little more to help you understand any emphasis the author may have intended and try to determine his motive in writing his words. Now, this is a little bit of a, a game, and so sometimes you have to read other, other things and, and dive a little deeper. But again, look at the story of Timothy, and you'll learn that he's a young man that the Apostle Paul has taken under his wing to become a disciple that will deliver the message of the good news of the gospel and make other disciples. That sounds familiar because that's what he has called us to do as well. And as we consider this, we can understand a little better why the statement was included to Timothy in this second letter. It was a charge, right? A commission to go and do the work that he had been called to do. But as we read in the statement prior to, to 16 and 17, he can expect pushback and resistance. You know, he was saying, you will be persecuted, you'll be, you'll be ridiculed. And then he says, but here's your tool. Here's your tool. He can expect pushback, but even persecution. But Paul's statement does more than give a, a short description of the Bible. It, it reveals the purpose as a tool for every servant, which is you and I, to have. And I told you a part of a healthy practice as reading the Bible includes reflecting a little deeper by prayerfully considering what these words reveal about your character, about the character of God. You should be able to read any verse and say, what is this telling me about God, right? So I read this and says, God gave me a book. He gave me a word, a written word that has teaching and rebuking and correcting and training and equipping, okay? God must love me. God must want me to succeed. That character has been revealed. But if I just read that sentence and moved on, I would never get that. So dig a little deeper. What do they mean about the character of God? What do they mean to me? And, and what are they leading me to do with them? Am I reading that? Am I feeling a nudging to, to read my Bible more? To maybe look at it for a teaching tool? Or maybe I need to look at it because that word rebuking didn't sit very good. Maybe I need to read something, tell me how to straighten out a thing in my life I've been dealing with. Or maybe I need to realize I'm fully equipped and go use what he's given me to do. So ask yourself how you change by what you have read. Are you feeling a calling to take an action? Consider again the statement from Paul to Timothy. Do you, do you feel apprehension about obediently sharing the good news and, and disciplining others and discipling others? Do you need to read and believe the words of encouragement that promise that you you're fully, specifically, and perfectly equipped for what God has planned for you in your life? You should. You should. 
This almost overly simplistic guide to reading scripture, to read, study, and reflect, is the model for our current Sunday morning and Wednesday evening Bible studies and discussions. We, we get a little context about what we're about to read, then we read the scripture, right? You begin with prayer. On, on Sunday morning, we begin with prayer. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we made it here. Thank you we have an opportunity in the building, and, and thank you that we get to talk about your word. Then we read the words from the Bible. And the one I had set aside for this morning was 1 Samuel 3, 1 through 14. So it's not even a full page of typed words. And then we consider and answer 10 or 11 questions. Each one is designed to help us ponder and understand what we just read. Because that's where the message is. And one of my favorite aspects of the time we spend is, is the different perspectives to the answers. And, and also the stories from our lives that either caused or, or reflect our perspective as it relates to the scripture. What is your lens? This is what I went through. And this is why this one means so much to me. And then we take a moment to consider how we should respond and in our hearts commit to those responses. Now, in a few minutes, we're gonna be sharing the sacrament of communion. And this is our response to God. I thank you for the gift of the cross. It says, I accept this open invitation that you said, Come. You know, we have no doubt that God is wise and, and we know that some, there's some wisdom even in, in the business world. And, and so we know there are things you do, like if it's important, you better put it in writing, right? If it's needed for future reference, you better put it in writing and keep it. If it's a commitment, if it's agreement between people, you better put that in writing too, right? You want to always have this stuff. And if it's the truth, put it in writing. So guess what he did, Right? It's important stuff. And some of the stuff's repeated over and over because we are humans and we need to hear and be reminded of the value that God has in us. But living a focused life as it relates to God's word means using it as a guide for our life, a reference for our question and our doubts. And I would agree that this is the most critical part, putting it into action. So I want to encourage you to not limit yourself to a handful of sentences that you hear others read you on Sunday mornings but open the book for yourself and ask God to speak to you and then be open to his listening. And if you need some guidance, if you'd like some devotional material or something to start, or you want to get connected to one of our Bible studies, let me know. We have a Wednesday evening Zoom study um, and we have a Sunday morning study and I've got just all kinds of other resources. And devotions are a great starting point. You know, if it puts you in there in the mood where you sit down quietly for five minutes, read something in a little commentary, that helps. That's a start. Okay, that's a start. So in a minute, we're going to, to take communion. And, and what the communion is, it's, it's symbolic in a lot of ways, right? We know that Jesus is the bread of life and, and we know that um, the cup, the wine, is, is, represents his blood. And it's the blood of the new covenant. And, and the reason it's the new covenant is because God has made many covenants to us. Right? He loved us. He, would, he saved us. He would never destroy the world again. These are covenants that are obviously still in, in force today. And Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy these, to replace them. I came to fulfill some of the prophecies, and I am the new covenant. And this new covenant makes forgiveness possible. So what he did, and this is, um, was taken place at the, the last supper we call it, right? Monday, Thursday, we celebrated it a couple weeks ago. We had him surrounded by his disciples and he had washed their feet and he was talking about where he's going and he was going to make room for us and, and they had no idea what that meant, but we know now, right? 
our Savior has gone ahead to make a place for us in his Father's house, right? And he's going to come back and take us. In the meantime, some of us are going to already be there, right? Some of us are going to go ahead. And we're going to miss them and we're going to mourn, but we're going to celebrate them because of what Jesus did. He said, this bread is my body. And he said, it's broken for you. And likewise, he, he took the cup and, and he prayed and he thanked God. And I love that. If Jesus, the Son of God, needed to pray to his Father, how much more do we? And he took the wine and he said, this wine is blood of the new covenant. And he said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this wine, do so in remembrance of me. I have the words on our table here to remind us that we do this for him. And it is our tradition to have an open table because that's what Jesus did. He said, come, come, bring your baggage. I talked last week, I was going to bring a big suitcase and leave it up here with just all the stuff that, um, you know, you have in life, right? The anger, the hostility, the, the bad memories, the bad experiences, all the, the things that eat at you. And this is the one place he says, bring it, leave it right here, right here. And have some body and some new covenant and, and enjoy a new life. He said, I'll hang on to this for you. You don't need it anymore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. That he came miraculously. That he taught. That he shared. That he exemplified a good and perfect life. We know it's possible, even though we have not come near to mastering ourselves. So then we thank you for what else he did, which was make a pathway serve for salvation. A means for forgiveness that anyone that calls on you and, and seeks you through him as our savior, Jesus Christ, then when we get in front of you someday, when, you're, when our time on earth is done and we're there and Jesus will look at us and smile and said, I know this one and they know me. Lord, as we come to the table this morning, as we, we bring our sins, we bring our sadness, we bring our hesitations and, and we leave them with you. And we are renewed spiritually if you will let us accept that and if we allow ourselves to feel it. Lord, renew us spiritually. New life because of the sins that we put down and the forgiveness that we've been granted. You say our sins are as far as the east is from the west. That's how far our sins are. You remember them no more. It's not forgiven, forget it. It's forgiven, forgotten, and never existed ever. So that's what we're reading this morning. So we thank you in your son's name for this miraculous gift. And although it sometimes feels like we squander it, Lord, we know that it is exactly what we need. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.